If your Bible's with you this morning, take them and turn to the book of Philippians chapter 4 this morning. Philippians chapter 4. And every single one of us in this room uh, is different. We are all very, very different. And we are living in a culture and a time where our differences are celebrated. We celebrate diversity in a lot of different ways and in a lot of different areas. I think it's a really good thing because we're all unique. We're all different. We're all made in God's image. And God's image is so incredible that he can make billions of people and not make one of them exactly the same. And so there's things that we would disagree on, things that we have differences in. Uh, you know, maybe it's, it's a particular way that we like to, to do certain things. Maybe it's certain preferences that we have. Maybe it's because of where we're from that makes us different. Maybe it's because of the color of our skin that makes us different. We're really different and unique. We have different preferences. There are certain things that you care for that I don't care for. Uh, there are certain sports teams that you care for that I don't care for. There's certain foods that you like that I don't like. There's certain places you like to go that I don't like to go. There's certain people that you care for and like, and I don't like them that much. Like we're, there's a lot of things that make us very, very different. But you know, I think it's a good thing to celebrate, but we also need to recognize that there's also a lot of things that we really do share the same. In fact, there's some things that it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter what side of the tracks you grew up on, it doesn't matter what the color of your skin is, it doesn't matter how poor or how wealthy you are, how smart or how unsmart you are, where you're from, we're all the same in some things. There's certain longings that God set inside of us that we all want. I mean, we all, I think generally, probably all want to be happy. Now, some of us are harder to make happy than others, but we all do want to be happy. Like, nobody wants to be unhappy. I just want to have a miserable day and a miserable life and a miserable, like we all want that. We all want relationships. We may not want a bunch of relationships. We may not want all of our relationships to be the same way. We may want to have a bunch of friends. We may not want to have a bunch of friends, but we all do want to have relationships. But there's another thing also that we want to talk about today that we all really want to have. It's a, it's a longing in our souls. It's, a, it's something that's wired into us that we desire, that we all want. Yeah, it looks a little different for each of us, but we all really want peace. We want peace in our lives. We want a peace of mind. We want life to be even kill, going the direction that we want it to go. We, we don't want it to be disrupted too much. Whatever that plan is, whatever that flow is, whatever that keel is, that's where we want, we, we want, we want peace of mind and our safety. Like we, we don't want there to be a lot of unpeace and unrest in our lives. It would be really great to go without having to deal with a lot of unsafety in our lives. We, we want that. We want, I think probably all of us in here want peace in our world. Like we live in a world that doesn't have a lot of peace and we would probably wish and hope together that the world would be a more peaceful place. In fact, we, we try to do that, sometimes work together in that very thing. We want financial peace. Like probably not a person in this room wants to pull up your phone or check your bank account and find that all of a sudden you've been robbed and all of your money's gone. Now you would like things to be stable financially. It doesn't mean you have to have a bunch of money pouring in, but just to, just to have things settled and have a steady income and have things work well. We, we want peace about our decisions. You ever heard someone say that, I just don't have a peace about that. We want to 
we have to make a lot of decisions in life. There's a lot of things that weigh upon us, that rest upon us, that we have to decide for ourselves, that other people aren't going to decide. And we want the security, the confidence that as we make those decisions, there's a peace and that we make the right decision and that things go really well. We want peace in our homes and in our relationships. We want peace in our marriage. We want peace with our kids. We want peace in our friendships and the people that we know. We'd like in general those things to be all peaceful. We long and we want peace. But the truth is, no matter who you are, how hard you try, peace can leak in our lives. We can't always keep the peace and we can't always keep peace within us. Peace is a commodity. It's a, that even, even the godliest of people, those walking as close as they can to Jesus, even struggle with keeping peace. And sometimes the peace runs out. Sometimes we don't realize that the peace is seeping and leaking like a nail in a tire. You don't realize it until it's flat that you have a hole, you have a puncture, you have a nail in a tire. And sometimes that's the way peace seeps out little by little, almost unnoticeable until it's gone. We have changes in the pace of life and sometimes the changes in the pace of life cause changes in the peace of life. Losing peace, living without peace, having peace leak in our lives comes in all different shapes and sizes. Sometimes it comes in the dramatic and the shocking, the unexpected, but sometimes it comes in other ways. It doesn't have to be dramatic and shocking. It doesn't have to be incredibly overwhelming, just simple things that can disrupt our peace, that put us in a very vulnerable place. And when, when peace is not there, when we don't sense and experience peace, in our life, it affects a lot of different things within our lives. It begins to push upon our faith. It begins to push upon our hope. It begins to push upon our joy. So many things get out of balance when we don't have peace in our life. This morning, I want us to look at a passage of Scripture that's about peace. And it's about having a peace that can't be thwarted that can't be altered, that rises above the circumstances and scenarios that we're in, that shows that God is enough because His peace is enough. Would you draw your attention to Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, and when you stand in honor of God's Word, those of you that are familiar with the Bible are going to recognize this verse. It's kind of one of those power verses in Scripture, but there's some great truth some commands, some imperatives, some things that we must do as followers of Christ to experience an incredible promise of peace that God has for us. Look with me, if you would, at verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You can be seated. 
God is enough because his peace is enough. There's several commands, several things that Paul tells us to do in this passage of Scripture, things that need to be active in our life, things that we need to be pursuing and doing in our lives. And as we pursue and do those things, there's a result that we'll experience an incredible promise that God has to give us His peace. So I want to look at that this morning. I want to look at primarily kind of two things that we must do to experience the enough peace of God, the strong and mighty peace that passes all understanding of God, how to walk that and experience that in our lives. The first thing is this, you want to experience peace, you want to have peace, the peace that passes all understanding, then you have to listen, give your mind to the Lord. There's three commands that Paul gives us in verse 4 and 5 and 6 commands here to rejoice to reason and to remember he starts out saying rejoice in the Lord always so in every circumstance no matter what we face at all moments there's to be an attitude of rejoicing in the Lord why is that because oftentimes we lose peace because we lose perspective When things change and alter in our life, when things don't go the direction, when the, 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 the even balance of peace in our life is threatened, we have a tendency to become so occupied and grieved by what we have lost or what has changed. Our thoughts can so easily become dominated by what's lacking, what's causing the peace to leak. Our minds wonder about what we could have done different or how, how it's not like it used to be or how it's not going to be easy to change this or, or how much it hurts or how possibly we could change the circumstances. What could we do differently? What could we have done differently? How, how can we fix this? And we so oftentimes we get focused on what we don't have and what's different and what's not right and not fair that we forget what we do have and what is right and what is good. And the danger is, is that if we get our minds and we lose perspective by focusing on the circumstances that aren't right, that aren't good, that aren't fair, that we don't like, that are threatening the peace in our lives, that we will lose a whole lot more than what we've lost. We'll lose perspective. And when we lose perspective, we have the danger of losing what we have over what we don't have. Losing peace can steal your perspective. And the enemy loves it. He loves this mind game. He loves the battle of your mind and of my mind. He loves it when things are out of whack and when things get off even. 
He loves it because he knows how our minds work. He knows that we have the tendency to focus on the bad, to focus on these things. And if he can have your mind, then he can have you. If he can occupy your thoughts, then he can occupy your life. And so that's why Paul says, that's why Paul begins this whole thing with this rejoice in the Lord. Turn your mind to him. Turn your mind into who he is. Turn your mind into what he's done. Because at the end of the day, no matter what changes in your life, he's unchanging. No matter what's bad in your life, he's good. No matter what's doubtful in your life, he is faithful. Rejoice in him. Even though, even though there are things in our lives that we're going to face, there are things we're going to walk through that aren't fair, that aren't good, there is so much God has blessed us with. There is so much God has done for you. There is so much to rejoice over in Him. And so he says, give your mind to the Lord, rejoice. Also reason, that's the whole idea. Because there's so much to be joyous over, there's so much good, be reasonable about it. So something didn't go well. So you lost something. That's not downgrading it to be reasonable. To think about the fact that, you know, I'm saved. I'm going to heaven, not hell. I have something I didn't deserve. And I have so much in God, and he's not done with me yet. And this is not over. He is above it all. He can do it all. And he can see me and get me through this. And what I've lost, he can abundantly provide far greater than the loss that I've encountered. Be reasonable about it. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. And then he says this, the Lord is at hand. Remember. It's like a reminder that Paul is giving us, like the Lord's at hand. What does it mean to have the Lord at hand? Well, there's two things I think Paul means when he says the Lord is at hand. Number one, I think he means, hey, the Lord's here. The Lord's, Lord's right here. You have the Lord with you. If you know Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit with you. You have God's plan. You have God's way. He is here and he cares. The Lord tells us in Isaiah chapter 41, 10, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I'll strengthen you. I'll help you. I'll uphold you with my righteous right hand. Remember that. Remember that you're not alone. Remember that he promises he's going to provide, that he's going to uphold you, that he's going to get you through, that he's going to help you. He's at hand. You, you have him. Isaiah chapter 35, verse 4. Say to those who have an anxious heart, say this to them, say this to you. Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come, he will save you. What Paul is saying is, listen, you got to focus on the bigger picture. That your plans answer to God's plans. That your life falls under the category of God's will, God's way. And that in the midst of his plans, he's with you. And he doesn't just have this plan that's just, you got to deal with it. You got to go through it. Suck it up. Tough it up. That's not the way God operates. God sets his plan in motion. And then he comes down and walks through our 
version of that plan through our lives with us. Remember that he's there, that he's at hand. Get a grip, pull it together, refocus, gain perspective, take a breath and calm down, be reasonable and remember that he's there. Focus on what matters and what's ahead for you. We forget that sometimes. That now is not the end. If now is the end, it would be over. You wouldn't be here. If today was doomsday, if life was doomsday, if this is as good as it gets, it's done. There's something coming. What is that? Well, that's the other thing that Paul means by the Lord is at hand. He's coming. Like the end of the story has not been written yet, or it's been written, but it's not been done yet. The answer to all of our prayer, the answer to all of our worries, the answer to all of our anxiety, the questions that we have, they're going to be answered. The Lord's at hand and it's coming soon. I think what Paul means is, listen, there's a day that this Jesus that we trust in comes. And when he comes, all of the issues and worries of today are gone. It's a really good day. Because when that day comes, there is no anxiety. When that day comes, there is no grief. When that day comes, there is no worry. There is no depression. There's no need for pills. There's no need for a bottle. There's no need for a therapist. There's no need for any of that on that day. He's coming. Horatio Spatford uh, was a, a very successful attorney, Chicago attorney in the 1800s, until most of his investment was lost in the Chicago fire of the 1800s. Pretty much almost the entire city of Chicago burned down in that time. He had used all of his income and wealth and poured it into real estate investment and lost nearly all of it in that fire. But what was greater in the loss within that fire was that he lost his two-year-old son as well in that fire. One of the losses could be replaced over hard work and time and diligence. The other could not. So you had a grieving father and mother with four other daughters that are walking through the loss of a child. At the same time, they're trying to recoup and regain the instability that they now had in their life as a result of that. It was a difficult journey and a difficult several years. Those of you that have lost children know the pain and the difficulty of grief over the child that you lose and that it never really goes away. And that it spurs up and it pops up just as real as the day it happened over and over again within your life. And they walk through that. As they continue to walk through that, about three years later, still trying to settle things, still trying to navigate through that, not the same, they decided they needed a break. And so he had the opportunity to send his family, to take his family on vacation to Europe. And so they planned for that. Obviously, they didn't have American Airlines or, or Southwest Airlines or anything like that that day. So they had to get on a ship. Well, the day before he left on the ship, he was called to some urgent business that required that he stay. Well, the trip had already planned, paid for, so he didn't want to hold his family up. So he sent him ahead. He was just going to meet up with him a few days later, catch the next ship. But as they were voyaging across the Atlantic Ocean, their ship sunk. And only his wife survived. He found out about it. And a note that was given to him that's from her that simply said, save, I'm the only one. Immediately he boarded the next ship 
to sail across the Atlantic Ocean to meet his grieving wife, to grieve together with her. Because not only have they lost everything they had, not only did they lose their two-year-old son, now they've lost all of their children. His peace was gone. Somewhere on the way, he remembered. He took control of his mind and he gave it to the Lord and he pinned these words as he's on that ship to meet his grieving wife. And the last verse of the song he wrote in that poem said this, and Lord haste the day when the faith shall be sight, the clouds be rolled back as a scroll, the trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. It is well, it's well, it's well. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, remember he's at hand. He's here. And he's coming. And it's well with you. But that's not what we do, is it? We know we're supposed to. That's what the Bible says, that's what the preacher says, that's what all the books you'll read, that's what all the therapists will say. That's not what we do. What do we do? The opposite. We worry. We get anxious. We get frustrated. We preoccupy ourselves with the situation, the scenario, and how we can fix it, how we can change it. We get so focused upon that, which leads to anxiety and worry. That's why Paul says this command in verse 6. Oh, listen, as you're remembering, as you're handing that mind over the Lord, here's the struggle. Here's what's so difficult to hand your mind over the Lord. Listen, be anxious for nothing. Don't you let anxiety take you. Don't you let worry take you over. Worry is ultimately just a down payment for something that might not ever happen. And yet we let it own us and control us and anxiety and worry. Everybody gets worried and everybody goes through that. You get worried and I get worried. We get anxious and we get, we get nauseous even sometimes. And it leads us to really dark places and really difficult, uncontrollable places. And you say, well, that's just the way I cope and that's just what I deal with. Well, you understand That a worrisome life and an anxious life is not a life of faith. It is a reality. It is what we face. But it also robs faith. So what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus had some direct words about anxiety and about worry. Matthew chapter 6, the Sermon on the Mount, he said, Therefore, I tell you this. Listen to me, Jesus says. Focus. Pay attention. Do not be anxious about your life. Don't worry about you. Make it specific what you eat or what you'll drink or, or your body, what you're going to put on. It's not life more than the food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air, he says. Neither, they neither sow nor they reap nor gather into barns. Let your heavenly Father knows them and feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they and which of you by being anxious or which of you by being worried? It's a great question. Which of us by being anxious and worrying can add a single hour to a span of life? 
Like, what can worry do? What can worry fix? What can worry add? Rather than adding, you know what it does? It subtracts. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, neither they toil nor they spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, wasn't arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today, it's alive, and tomorrow it's thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? For after these things, the Gentiles seek. And your Father, listen, 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 listen to what Jesus, listen to what Jesus says. And your Heavenly Father knows that you need them all. What you're worried about, God knows. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Paul put it this way. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. You know what the answer to anxiety is prayer. The pill to anxiety, the pill to worry, the solution and the remedy for anxiety and worry is prayer. The way to do what he says here, because this is a big command, it's a big ask of people. Of all of us, be anxious for nothing. Don't worry about anything. Like seriously, come on. You, you, don't, you don't want me to worry about what's going to happen in the stock market. You, you don't want me to worry about my kids. You don't want me to worry about my health or the health of my spouse. You don't want me to worry about, about these things. Like there's people depending upon me, God. Like, I get paid to worry about things. How, how, how are you expecting me to not worry about anything? This, this, the, the way to worry about nothing is to pray about everything. What Paul is saying is here, worry less, pray more. You see, it's pride that keeps us from prayer. Because so oftentimes when we have anxiety and we have these difficulties and we have these problems and we have this leaking of peace in our lives, we hold on to our problem like it's a burden to bear, like it's a badge of honor. In fact, when we have those problems, people ask us, how are you doing? Fine. I'm fine. Problem with me. I'm good. As if we, as if we really are good when inside we're not. The truth of the matter is we're not at all. We sit and we soak in our anxiety and our depression. And all along, God has provided us a way out, an escape to give our problems over to Him. Because not everything can we fix. 
And not everything can we change, but he can. And there is a place to go. And there is a solution when we are in trouble and when peace is leaking in our lives. You see, prayer is not just a suggestion. Prayer is a solution. Now, he, he mentions prayer in several different ways. He mentions four things about prayer. First of all, it says prayer. Be anxious about nothing, but in everything by prayer. This is the attitude and the attitude that, God, I'm going to approach you with it. I'm going to talk to you about my problem. I'm going to bring my issue up to you. I'm going to trust you that you care enough. I'm going to trust that you really are at hand. And so I'm going to take my issue, my problem, and I'm going to bring it to you. This is the approach of prayer. See, prayer is an approach. We're approaching the throne of God. We're approaching him. We're bringing it to him. It's not that he doesn't know about it already, but, but we, in our humility, are bringing that before him. And then he says, with supplication or petition. This is taking prayer beyond an approach and and asking for help. I'm asking you, I'm petitioning you with this issue. God, this is my problem. This is what I'm worried about. This is what I'm anxious about, Lord. Would you? I need you. Can you intervene for me? And then he says, and let your requests be made known. Now this is the specifics of prayer. Not only does God want us to approach him with the problem, not only does God just want us to ask him about the problem, God is perfectly good at asking us to be specific about it, to make our request. There's nothing off the table. Do you realize you can ask God anything? It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't mean he's going to give it to you. That's not the promise here. But you can ask him. Ultimately, God's going to give you what he thinks is best for you. But you can still ask him. You can bring that before him. God, here's the specific. Here's the particulars about what concern me, about what worry me, what's leaking within my life and where my peace is gone. And then there's this attitude of thanksgiving that comes with prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, you need to understand that God's good, that God will provide. It's, it's, it's like the psalm writer said in Psalm 34, verse 4. I sought the Lord. I asked him. I approached him, I petitioned him, I, I supplicated him, I, I made my request before him. And, and listen to what he says in verse 4. I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears. That's how it works, by the way. You take it to him, guess what he does? Something with it. He's not like some of us are as dads. Your kids ask you for something and you, you brush it off. You do that, dads. Like, we do that. And because some of the time, we're like, what a dumb question. My daughter wants a pony? We're gonna have it in a backyard. Can't have a pony. But you're not gonna tell your daughter that. We'll see. That's sweet, honey. I, horses are great. Maybe one day, maybe one day, which means it ain't no day. You have all these questions and questions and there's a lot that we can't handle and there's a lot we can't do and there's, there's a busyness and there's a lot that we forget and so forth and so on. And then some of us dads are like, no, we're just blunt with it. Every prayer, every petition, every request you bring before God, he doesn't just take it and receive it, he does something with it. 
give your problems to the Lord. Give your mind to the Lord. Because there is a promise on the other side of your problems. And that promise is what we see here. Verse 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's the promise. You give me the mind, you give me the problem, and God will give us peace. He says several things about this peace that are really important. This peace is a defense against our world. He says it'll guard your hearts and minds. The very thing threatened by the lack of peace in your life, the peace of God will guard those things. It's a defense. It's, it's a wall. Now, the promise is not he'll fix it all. Let me just be really clear with that. The saving of God and the answer of God isn't just to give you what you asked for and to just make it go away or make it come back. That's not it. It's far beyond that. It's a peace. See, that's the way the world understands peace. Like, in order to have peace, we got to have everything at even kill. We got to have it the way that we want it, the way that we see that it ought to go. The problem with that is none of us see it the same way. This is where the differences come in. Like, we don't see even kill and good life the same way. We can just back this up and look at this from a global perspective. People in America see peace and happiness one way. People in Egypt see peace and happiness another way. There are differences in that. And they don't always line up, which is one of the reasons why we have no peace in this world, because we interpret it and we think of it in different ways. That's worldly peace. And we're striving and we're wanting worldly peace. And we think that, listen, in order for me to have peace, then everything's got to be the way that I want to. Well, I'm sorry, friend, you don't live in a world that revolves around you. And so you can't have it that way. We've been striving for thousands of years to find that kind of peace. We haven't found it yet. But by God, the next president will do it for us. Thank you, coach. I like you, man. Of all the things that I've experienced in Charlotte, coach has been one of the funnest things that I've had each week. I can, and you all know when he's not here, by the way. Like we want that, but we can't have it. And so we strive and we strive and we come up empty because our peace is related to circumstances. Our peace is related to preferences. We want a normalcy. We want a situational calmness. We want a prosperity. We want good health. But that's not the kind of peace that God gives. He doesn't give us a worldly, earthly peace. He gives a divine peace. He gives a peace that trumps and overrides circumstances and health and prosperity and even killness in our lives. It's the kind of peace that God experiences every day as this world that he has created is running amok and getting worse as the clock goes by. He is at perfect peace on his throne. It's the kind of peace that helps us understand how there could be a storm going on and 12 men in a boat screaming like little girls, and Jesus, the Son of God, sound asleep. 
because it's not bothered by circumstances. It's not bothered by the scenario. It's not bothered by the even kill or the prosperity or the health. It's a peace that overrides the complexity and the disparity of our situation. It's not a promise to change, but it's a promise to give peace. How? How is it? How is it that God can give us a peace, but our circumstances not change? How is it that I can go through grief, never get back what I lost, and yet God gives me a peace in the midst of it? How is it that I can, I can go through a difficult scenario and bad stuff, and that God's going to give me peace but not change those circumstances below it? How is it that God can give this if he doesn't give this and do this this way? How is it? Well, here's the deal. I don't know. I really don't. Nobody does. That's why it's called the peace that surpasses understanding. You don't have to understand it to have it. And you don't have to understand it to receive it. What you do have to do is give him the mind give him the problem and he gives you the peace to guard the mind and the heart affected by the problem and there's another part of this that we can't miss it's the last three words this is a personal peace in Christ Jesus the reason our world can't have this peace is because it's not in Christ Jesus. The reason that so many people can't have this peace is because they're not in Christ Jesus. And it very well could be for you this morning, the reason you will never experience the peace of Jesus is because you don't know Jesus. The only way to find this peace that passes all understanding is to find peace with God through the person of Jesus Christ. To trust in him, to give him your life, to hand your life, to surrender your mind to him, to hand over the problem of you to him as your Lord and Savior. And then you can have peace because you have peace with God. When you have peace with God, which I don't understand that either, but he does then you can experience the peace that surpasses all understanding in your life daily. It begins with Jesus. And the same thing we do at salvation, to hand our mind over to him and to hand the problem of us over to him, he asks us to do every day, to hand your mind over to him, to hand your problems over to him, and trust, just as you trusted for salvation, trust that he will give you the peace in the midst of it. That's the kind of peace that Jesus gives. Jesus said this in John chapter 14, verse 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I don't give peace like the world gives. Let not your hearts be troubled, 
either let them be afraid. Joe Scriven was a missionary to Ireland, from Ireland that traveled to Canada to work with a particular group of Indians to get the gospel to them and to minister to them. He was engaged and early in that missionary journey, his fiance joined him prior to their marriage. They were gonna be married on the mission field together and then they were gonna do this ministry together throughout their lives. But prior to their marriage, prior to the, the ceremony, she was killed in some sort of ice accident. This guy's traveled across the world. He's brought the daughter of some other family that he was engaged to across the world and she dies. And there he is with a broken heart and with his own hands burying her. Canada. He decided to stay and continue the ministry, even though he'd be alone. And his plans and his circumstances and his scenario were not what he planned. He was heartbroken. He was grieving. This is before the days of texting and telephones and emails, and so he wrote a letter to his mother to talk about his feelings, what he was going through a year later. And he reflected this thought to his mother in this letter. He said this, Mom, what a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and our griefs to bear. Mom, what a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. We have trials and we have temptations. There's trouble anywhere and everywhere. But we should never be discouraged because we can take it to the Lord in prayer. Give the Lord your mind. Give the Lord your problems. And he will give you a peace you can't find anywhere. Let's pray.